Welcome to the Ottawa Valley Sports Podcast, your source for sport in the Ottawa Valley. My name's Noelle and I'm your host. Tune in on Tuesdays every other week as we interview local athletes, teams, coaches, sport organizations, and businesses who are continuing to empower and inspire the next generation of sport in our community. In today's episode, I'm thrilled to introduce the head coach and program director for Freestyle Calabogi, Zach Surrett. With a wealth of experience and knowledge and expertise, Zach steers the course of freestyle skiing right from the heart of Calabogie. Situated at the renowned Calabogie Peaks Resort, Freestyle Calabogie stands tall as a beacon of community-driven, passionate club with an unwavering commitment to excellence. From their youth development program, nurturing skills and fostering friendships, to their competitive team training, offering coaching and support for competition success, there's something for everyone. Whether you're just starting or you're a seasoned skier looking to refine your techniques, they've got you covered. Beginners can dive in with their introductory clinics while those seeking to enhance their skills can explore their freestyle camps or opt for their private coaching sessions. But it's not just about the thrill of the slopes, it's about the community they've built. Freestyle Calabogie's framework is anchored in principles that put athlete well-being and ethical conduct at the forefront. They take immense pride in nurturing an environment where respect and positivity flourishes, all while delivering exceptional programs that guarantee quality and excitement on the slopes. Thank you so much, Zach, for coming on the Auto Valley Sports Podcast today. I'm super excited to hear and learn all about the history of Freestyle Calabogie, get a glimpse into this season, your exciting programs, as well as your very own your very own story within freestyle skiing. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, happy to talk to you. Oh, okay. Well, tell us a bit about Freestyle Calabogie. Uh, well, it started off in the 2011 winter season by Julie Uh She's actually an ex-Olympic mogul skier, um, as well as Bruce Schick uh, and Raf Gwembez and a couple others um, just trying to get some freestyle skiing going out in the Ottawa Valley, honestly, at that time at least. Okay. And when when was that, sorry? That was in 2011. 2011. And now, has there been many changes to the freestyle Calabogie over the years? Well, it started pretty much just as like an all-mountain and moguls program. Um, so, you know, just learning how to ski through the trees and get a little bit more creative with your skiing, as well as obviously moguls. So skiing through all the bumps and hitting those uh, the two jumps in a moguls course. Um, but now we have a slope-style team and even a snowboarding all-mountain program. Uh, I, pro- I mainly coach for the slope style team so the rails the jumps and hopefully half pipe one day but unfortunately that's slowly a dying breed but the snowboarding is a really interesting one that one just got introduced last year and this year we actually have four athletes uh, registered currently so we're hoping that continues to grow honestly both of them and yeah that's kind of what we're offering right now at this point Oh, wow. Wow. And now has there been many changes in coaching or competitions over the over the last years? Well, I mean, different things are changing all the time between FIS with, uh, you know, Canada Cups and everything. I mean, past years, it has not really ever been a rule to require poles in freestyle skiing. And now skiers are requiring poles because I guess judges and certain staff personnel decided that it looked too much like aerial skiing, where basically people would launch off of near vertical jumps and soar through the air doing triples and quads. Um, so poles is now a requirement. Uh, judging, once upon a time, actually, even when I started in competitions, 
360s were actually scored the exact same as a backflip. Um, even though doing a backflip required a lot more training and dedication, but they were scored the same. Eventually it got recognized. No, just because it's technically a 360 rotation, even still it requires much more skill level. So they changed that. Um, so yeah, and honestly judges, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people are getting a little bit more creative with how they're doing at least slope style and snowboarding moguls pretty much has stayed the same as far as judging goes with watching how the knees are and how hard and how fast they hit the moguls and then the difficulty of trick they are performing in the air. But everything else seems to keep changing as the years go on, honestly. Okay, yeah. And I feel like, you know, uh, it adapts as time goes and new things will come up. And I feel like that's in a lot of different sports. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, if it doesn't change at any given point, then in my opinion, the sport can kind of get a little dull. So it it just adds a little bit of a new flavor every single time something changes. Yeah, this that, that is true. Um, now with freestyle skiing, I know you've mentioned a bit of, about different styles, I guess, of freestyle skiing, but I would love to, if you could kind of explain to people that aren't familiar with freestyle skiing, maybe just a brief explanation of it. Yeah, sure. I mean, with freestyle, there, there's obviously different principles into it. I mean, for starters, uh, like our founders with the mogul skiing, so hit a couple of bumps in a, in a designated course at a very specific pitch, go through some bumps, hit a jump, perform a trick in the air, land, continue through skiing through more bumps, hit another jump, perform a trick in the air, land, continue more bumps, and then you're finished the course. Uh, and this is in the Olympics. You might might have seen it at some point on, on the TV. Uh, then there's also aerials, which is a very difficult thing to do, in my opinion, where essentially you have to, it's just one singular jump, but you launch probably, honestly, like 40 or 50 feet vertically into the air, performing gymnastics-styled maneuvers on trampoline, but now wearing skis and then attempting to land without hopefully breaking your body. Um, then there would be slope style, which is hitting rails and jumps in these, uh, varying degree of difficulty and size of courses. I mean, some of these, like a local competition around here, they might have, uh, you know, a jump up to even a 50 footer, which all things considered is definitely entering the, the large size of jump, but even still, it's probably more in the mid range. Um, and then hitting rails of varying difficulty and degree. Uh, if you were to enter into like a, an Olympic or a Canada game styled competition, there might be different shapes of jumps, adding a little bit of creativity into what a skier can do instead of just taking off of a straight jump. Maybe they have to carve into it or, or something just to add a little bit of difference to a course. Then there's uh then there's also half pipe, which is unfortunately a dying breed in Canada. As far as I'm concerned, there's only three in Canada last year. But uh, that is when essentially it is two vertical walls on either side where a skier would go up a wall, launch out of the pipe, do some vertical tricks and maneuvers, spins, flips, all that, land back in the pipe and continue on down through hitting each wall. And then the final one is obviously snowboarding, which snowboarding does not perform aerials or moguls because you're attached onto only a snowboard, but uh, snowboarding is definitely a big thing with slope style and half pipe. Okay, okay, wow. Yeah, that that's really interesting. And I didn't, like, just for me, someone who doesn't really have very much experience within skiing, 
to know that there's so many different types of freestyle skiing from and they're very interesting and they sound extremely difficult like you were mentioning you know the aerials jumping 40 50 feet in the air like that's that's incredible for these athletes to be able to do that and you know go into olympic level things and do those things successfully it's incredible yeah and i mean these are just the competition based styles of skiing they're even now it's almost turning into a new genre of freestyle skiing where these skiers are taking what they learned in their programs as a child or as an athlete and in competition and then they actually will take it out into cities and streets and perform these tricks essentially on public areas in cities on handrails and jumping over streets it's kind of interesting how that's not necessarily turning into a competition setting unless you're an X Games athlete, at which case it's it's more or less just like a film aspect of things, but it's kind of turning into its own genre that is very quickly becoming popular. It's actually interesting how it's almost creating just an entirely new thing of freestyle skiing. So. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, no, I've never heard of that. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and now kind of, I feel like you gave a really good uh, description of freestyle skiing and I really appreciate that. Um, Cause now I have a really clear idea of how that all works now regarding the programs you offer, I guess, um, I don't know which ones, if you include all of those competition base or what, but if you could highlight uh, some of the programs you offer. Yeah, well, our programs, so we have uh, at our beginning level, we have our uh, our bumps and jumps. Um, so learning essentially just to uh, what even freestyle is. It's more or less a higher advanced skill level of kids on skis. Um, so the ones that honestly, even a level two ski instructor, they probably wouldn't be able to teach them a whole lot at that point. You know, these kids, they're, they're so young and small that getting absolute perfect technique, they're not really interested in that. They just want to go out and have fun. And so that's what these coaches do. They just take them out. They take them in the trees. They teach them how to jump, maybe teach them how to ski on a little bit steeper of a pitch, as well as showing them what moguls and slope style skiing is. Then we would go into our fundamentals, which is where they start to learn and practice these things a little bit more. So they might start leading up into doing boxes on ra- boxes, rails. Uh, they might even go through the mogul course a couple times in the season. Um, and these athletes are usually driving when it comes to the powder days they they want to drop as many cliffs as possible. So we usually seek those out. That's where you can then enter into either the slope style course or the moguls. So we have our development team for the moguls and then our high performance team. The development team does some competitions, but not as many as, let's say, the high performance team. And these athletes, they have the right kit, they have the right attire, and their main goal is to learn moguls and possibly even one day get on the high performance team. The high performance team is essentially they have registered to do a a certain amount of competitions, as well as train a minimum of, I believe it is 25 days a season on snow. Uh, But usually these athletes will even hit 40, possibly even 50 days of training in a single season. Uh, And slope style, we are slowly starting to get to that point. Uh, This year we do have two athletes on our competitive team, but the rest of them are just on our recreational team. Again, we just started last year, so I'm honestly impressed we've even started a competitive team. 
Um, and the competitive team, those athletes, they do require 20 days of minimum um, at a minimum of training, as well as they have to go to at least two or three competitions. Then the recreational team, they can do whatever they'd like, whether they just come out and have some fun and play around. Uh, but last year we did have a couple on the recreational team go to at least one competition. So, and they always have the option to go if they would like. And then as far as the snowboard program, uh, as of right now, we only have four athletes, so it's a little bit more difficult. And honestly, the snowboard competitions around here, there aren't all that many. Um, so we're, and the kids that we have in that program right now are a little bit on the younger side of things. So we're leveling up their skills. And then if a snowboard program or, uh, sorry, competition was to show up, uh, we would happily bring them to that. So, yeah, we're just trying to level everyone up and see where really they are willing to go and where they want to go, honestly. Yeah, and I feel like everything you've kind of gone over with the programs, it, it, it feels really um, well-rounded and everything you're offering, it kind of goes into the next, you know, like if they're wanting to take their skills to the next level, you have that opportunity there for them. Um, and, and it's interesting too that you were mentioning um, the minimum requirement too for training when they're getting into that competition. And I find that really interesting that you know, that that's there. Because if you think about it, you want to get into competing, you have to invest that time. Yeah. And I mean, the, the other side of it is if you are going to compete at especially a higher level where honestly podiums and getting medals is actually your goal. It's not even necessarily just, we want you to get there. It's also honestly a safety standard. If you aren't training and practicing and, you know, trying to strengthen your body enough then when all of a sudden you're going to try to exert your body to perform a certain trick, it's probably not going to go that well. So it's not <laughs> only for uh, their, you know, their experience and them growing as an athlete, but it's also honestly a part of their own safety. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, like you were mentioning, you know, there's jumps of 40 to 50 feet. So if you're not practicing that on a regular basis, and like you said, you just go out and try to exert that, um, yeah, it's a huge safety concern. Yeah, so it comes from all fronts, honestly. <laughs> and now, and and now, I'm I'm kind of going to the other um, side of things for your outside of competitions, going into your introductory clinics. So, I I feel like you gave a pretty good. Um, explanation of all how your high performance, your development team, um, all the competition style of things work. But I'm just curious now going into, let's say, your introductory clinics of people that are looking to start. How do you go about that? So for our bumps and jumps and fundamentals courses, you can be ages six and up. Um, I believe the ages for those courses are six to 12 years of age. And essentially, genuinely, the only requirement is that you are not doing a snowplow or a pizza all the time. Um, so everyone in skiing knows the saying of pizza and french fries. It's essentially a basic way of learning how to turn and stop. Unfortunately, um, we are taking athletes into terrain that is not exactly awesome for doing a snowplow all the time. Athletes would hurt their knees and such, but as long as they can majority of the time ski with their skis straight or at least keep up with the rest of the group we happily take them on um it's absolutely fantastic i mean there was a couple athletes last year actually in the bumps and jumps program where at the beginning of the season 
one of them, she was struggling with simply stopping and turning. And by the end of the season, she was fully doing parallel turns and doing, I think at one point I saw her do a five foot cliff drop and she's maybe only three and a half feet tall. So oh, wow. to, to, to oh. her, to her, that's like me and you dropping like 12 feet. So to, to her, that, that is a big thing that like, it was, it was crazy to watch her go from very, very basic turns to performing quite actually difficult maneuvers. So, and that was just all wow. in one season with our coaches. So it's, I'm curious to see how far even the rest of them will go even this season. So. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's incredible, though. Like what you were just saying, you know, just that one season and she started, you know, you know, not being able to turn properly and then making a huge jump at the end. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's even some girls who I'm I'm slowly trying to convince them to come over to slope style because honestly, I'd be so happy if there was a couple girls in the slope style team. Uh, <laughs> I'm being <laughs> I'm being overrun by boys. They're they're too chaotic. I I need a couple girls to tone them down a little. But, um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, they no, kind of uh, have a balance. <laughs> uh, yeah, no balance would be absolutely fantastic to have. <laughs> um, That's so funny. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, they're slowly growing. They're definitely getting better. Uh, I even had a couple of girls that we were doing a, a small little competition to get some points to go to bigger competitions. And one of the girls, I did actually help her uh, get on her first box, but actually properly slide on it, not just ski straight across it. And yeah, she was stoked on that. I'm not sure if she still wants to slope start. I, th I still think she's thinking of doing moguls, but yeah, well, as long as she's skiing, I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, as long as they're learning and they're they're enjoying it and they're having fun, you know, and and learning the skills properly and being able to continue progressing, you know? Yeah, exactly. As a coach, that's all we can really ask for. Yeah, and honestly, as long as athletes are enjoying it, that's that's what makes them want to continue. I mean, I do know plenty of people where they were an athlete and they were fantastic doing far bigger tricks than I've ever done, and then as soon as they were done with competitions. They didn't coach. They didn't even, they don't even really ski anymore simply because their coaches didn't keep it fun and enjoyable enough in their time as an athlete to them. It was more or less just a job. So I always try to keep it that it is, no, this is playtime. This is fun for us. We are just here to enjoy ourselves, whether we're in competition setting or in just goofing off setting, you know? So it's true. It's true. And I feel like it's, you know, it ties back into feeling like your community, feeling that sense of belonging, feeling like it's not work. Like you're coming in, you're seeing people that you love to see, you're learning things, um, you're in a really positive environment. And I feel like that says so much for the continuous, for anyone in any sport, like as they continue. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting. It's it's and it's so true what you were saying. So, but that's great. And now getting into, uh, I think there was one. I I noticed you guys also do freestyle camps, which sounds really exciting. Um, how, what can your participants expect from these type of camps? Um, so these camps. I mean, we have our Christmas camps, and even uh, this Saturday and Sunday, we have our Bring a Friend camps. Um, so these camps are essentially just you come out and uh, we bring out our coaches and you just sort of see what it's like. Uh, it's just having fun. It's a good intro to freestyle skiing. We try to show you as 
many things that we do as possible in such a short time. I mean, our Christmas camp was only three days, but I mean, you know, we still try to show some moguls and we still try to show some uh, slope style and then take them out on doing them. their all mountain skills, you know, maybe find a good side hit to get them to try to get some air, you know? So it's, it's all about just having fun in there. Bring a friend uh, uh, event that we're doing this weekend is our athletes get to bring a friend and their friend will essentially all they have to do is pay for lift ticket but they don't have to pay to get coached for that day so that we can try to get even more athletes and more participants in our programs to hopefully keep keep it growing yeah and no and i really feel like that's a great idea you know like these camps yes they're a couple days long um but it's a great introductory for people that may want to start on a more consistent basis yeah, exactly. I mean, I even, so last year we started the slope style team with only five athletes. By the time I was done, there were 12. Oh, um, wow. And that was simply just because I had parents email me who I'd never even talked to. And they said, Hey, I heard you have a slope style program. Do you mind if we just show up and try it out? And I just kept it under the radar and I just said, yeah, sure. Come on out. I give them some light coaching, talk to them at the end of the day. Next thing I know, I have athletes re registering, even though, yeah, we were five, six weeks into the program, I still wanted them to join in. And uh, so a couple of them did return this season. Unfortunately, I think we had three of our athletes go off to Camp Fortune and not come back to Calvogi. But I talked to all of them that, that, that their parents were driving a ridiculous amount to come to us and they didn't know that Camp Fortune had one as well. So uh, but as long as the athlete is still in the sport and uh, I had the athlete actually uh, email me a couple days ago asking if I was going to be coaching at a competition next week. And uh, he said that he was going to try to beat some of the Calabogie athletes. And I said, good luck. So <laughs> that's funny. I But you had that relationship, right, with them. So it's the camaraderie and, and you know, saying that you're going to come to the competition and beat your athletes you know it's funny <laughs> oh yeah well i mean it's funny because even even my uh, my younger brother he is one of the head coaches for nova scotia and so me and him have kind of been joking around over the past year of like hmm maybe one day we'll meet up at the canada games and i'm gonna have team ontario fight against team nova scotia and we're just gonna place bets on athletes and it'll be good fun in the end <laughs> well that's definitely something to look forward to and you know, I, I love that, you know, that you have relationships with people all over and to be able to come into a competition and, you know, have that opportunity, have that experience. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, honestly, and that's that's the fun of it is, yes, we are all competing and we're all trying to get higher scores than everyone. But at the end of the day, everyone's just stoked on one person learning a new trick and everyone's just happy that, Oh yeah, you might've beaten me, but I'm still stoked for you. And, and that's honestly the biggest goal in it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And now talking a bit about events, uh, do you, does Freestyle Calabogie host any events or do you guys attend events even coming up in this season? Uh, yes. Yeah. So on January 26th and 28th, uh, Freestyle Calabogie, we are actually hosting the uh, Moguls for the Timber Tour. Um, so it's a series of freestyle competitions in Ontario. 
around this area here. And um, so Calabogi is hosting the Timber Tour for the moguls. Uh, we actually need volunteers. So if anyone listening wants to come help out, we will happily, happily <laughs> uh, use your help. Uh, and then uh, we are also hosting, uh, this is a, this one is uh, on the fence a little bit still, but we're still trying to get it going, is Friday Night, Friday night Lights. Uh, it's supposedly a rail jam session. So rail jams just people, whether or not they're in a club or whatever, they just come out, grind a couple rails, and uh, we're hoping to do that uh, at night skiing at Calabogie. And uh, actually our uh, terrain park uh, operator and coordinator, Sammy Reporter, he was actually one of our uh, coaches last year. Now he's one of our backup coaches. He plans on running that competition sometime soon. I'm not exactly sure when. It all depends on snowmaking, but yeah. Yeah, well, that's exciting, though. There's some definitely some things to look forward to coming up. Yeah, no, definitely. And I and I hope you guys uh, get enough volunteers. I'm sure you will um, to get everything running smoothly. Oh, yeah, trust me. We, we always try to thank the... Uh, the parents that are athletes and you know coming out and you know helping out setting up fences and just being there on the knuckles to give a yeah the athlete landed or a no the athlete didn't land it sort of sign and and helping chop up the landings and do whatever we really need them to do we we always have a, a horde of parents coming out and helping us but it always seems like it's never enough <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice though that the parents kind of come out and really take a role in in those events and helping you know everything run smoothly oh yeah no we, we always appreciate them coming out Aww. and now getting into uh the athlete well-being because oh, that's something that i would like to touch on just a little bit because i feel like we went over the programs we went over events which was all really really interesting um i'm just curious how uh freestyle calabouie continuously ensures that balance between pushing boundaries and maintaining safety. So uh, maintaining safety. So I know that obviously some of the tricks are, you know, like you were mentioning, very high um, and things like that and making sure that the athletes are attending the training session so they're able to go through with those tricks. So how do you guys maintain that? Well, honestly, that 100% goes towards the coaches. I mean, it, it is all to do with the coaches' expertise and skill. So, you know, if they didn't understand it as an athlete, then they might not do so well with it. I mean, we've all been there being trying to be uh, performing a certain trick, and then a coach comes and helps us out. And then it's also a form of the coach training. So, I mean, I know myself – and two other coaches at Calabogie, we are, the three of us are now Air Force certified. So we technically are allowed to have athletes do inverts. Uh, so hips over the shoulders maneuvers uh, on snow. But to do that, athletes have to have a certain amount of time on a trampoline performing. Let's just, let's just talk about backflips. I mean, they have to perform at least nine different maneuvers before they even attempt a backflip. Then they could do a backflip on a trampoline, get really proficient at that. Then they have to go onto a water ramp or an airbag where they then have to perform a backflip a minimum of 50 times. Um, and, and that is a minimum. There are athletes where it maybe it just doesn't come as naturally. Or, I don't know, we could tweak that to make sure you're just a little bit safer when you finally put it on snow. There are athletes that I've seen where they had to attempt it at least 200 times before you can finally on the perfect day to attempt 
even just a backflip on snow. And then you have to re-get these certifications to do inverts for every single type of flip, whether that be backflip, front flip, misty, cork, rodeo, flat three, and then doubles becomes a whole nother spectrum of things. So it's all about making sure the athletes are taking the right steps and they're doing this in the proper manner. And then also making sure that in even before they're attempting these flips is that I always try to bring up risk tolerance and risk assessments. You know, if you are not feeling like you have enough energy, maybe just stay away from the rails right now. Just ski through the park and maybe just do a tail drag or something. Always know your body and how awake and ready you are. If you're not feeling up for the challenge, don't worry. Attempt it tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. Don't feel like you are pressured to do that particular thing now uh, tomorrow is always another day do it then and I, so. I i find that part is super super important too like yes they could have all that training like you were mentioning on the trampoline and then going through the different steps to then go on snow which i find is so so important to make sure you know before they're doing that on snow that they're prepared but also even if they are prepared uh, are prepared um, that risk tolerance, because it does happen, right? That people are tired or they're just off or they're just not having, you know, their energy is just not where it needs to be. And it's so important to analyze that before they do something like that, that could risk injury, right? Yeah. And I mean, like I have seen plenty of athletes where it, it almost seems like they have no fear. They, they, they just have never really experienced a proper injury and actually, unfortunately, one of my athletes, he actually did have quite a formidable injury last year, not in training. Uh, I wasn't there. He was on a ski trip with his family. Uh, he ended up breaking himself, oh. to which, uh, unfortunately, his ski season was over. And this was in early February or something like that, so I'm pretty sure. Anyways, it's interesting because this year he's come back. Uh, he's stronger than ever. He... He did summer camp training out in momentum and all that. Like he's doing absolutely fantastic, but I have noticed he, you know, the gears are turning to think, Oh, I should take, a, I should take this process a little slower. And he's thinking a little bit more uh, critically than, than he was last year, which honestly I love to see that, you know, not that I want him to be afraid, but I do want him to recognize that fear is there for a reason fear is what keeps us alive yes so. yes and 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 that's the thing too you know when we're younger i feel like we have no fear you know and but having like obviously nobody wants to go through anything any injury really but it kind of it brings us back and it allows us to analyze the situation and take more precautions going back yeah absolutely Hmm. But I'm, I'm glad hmm. that uh, you have that sense of, you know, that risk tolerance and making sure your athletes are okay uh, before they're making tricks and have a really solid way to maintain safety for your athletes, which I, I think is incredible that you guys are doing. Well, I mean, yeah, we, we all want to progress in the sport, but if we keep breaking ourselves, then it's pretty hard to do that. So, yeah, it's it's so true. It's so true. Um, but last but not least, just to kind of wrap up the episode today, I would love to know your story and what fueled your passion in freestyle skiing. Well, I mean, like uh, I grew up in Nova Scotia. Um, 
you know, freestyle at that time, it wasn't all th that big of a rage. I mean, freestyle skiing's really only been a thing since, honestly, at least this era of freestyle skiing's really only since the mid nineties. So even still in the early two thousands, it was still pretty new. Um, but honestly, my biggest passion started probably from my brother. Uh, he started freestyle before me and then just watching him, I was like, no, that's definitely what I want to do. And then all the while I had my sister who she was trying to learn how to ski. So I just kind of wanted to give her something to still look up to a little bit. So between the two of them, that's what got me into freestyle. I kept at it. I, as it turned out, I absolutely loved it. Um, and then I, you know, unfortunately my competition days were pretty short, all things considered. Um, but I knew I wanted to keep coaching. I've always enjoyed teaching. I love teaching. And now that I get to teach the thing I love absolutely most in this world, it's honestly the, the best thing I think I could ever possibly do. So that's mostly what drives me to try to spend that little extra money to get these courses so I can up these athletes' level a little bit more. And I just want to do this for as long as I can possibly stand, in my own opinion. Aww. But that's, that's amazing, you know? Like, I, I love your story. It was, you know, your siblings kind of inspired you to do freestyle skiing. And then, you know, yes, the competition days were cut short, like you mentioned, but it led you into coaching. And I love hearing how how passionate you are. Because, I, I, you know, I can hear it in everything you're talking about today and, and how much you love what you're doing. Um, and that makes a world of difference. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, like nothing, nothing sucks more for an athlete than having a coach that isn't enjoying what they're doing to them. This is, oh, it's just a weekend hobby. It's, it's a little different when it, it truly is what you do for a living. And so therefore it's like, no, I, I love this. This is all I talk about. My, my girlfriend hates the fact that this is the only thing I talk about. <laughs> so, you know, it's a little different for, for each, each coach and each individual, but I mean, at least for myself, that this is really all I do, and it's my absolute biggest passion. So yeah, and it, it definitely sounds like it was your calling, right? It's what yeah. it's what's driving you forward, and I love that. And I'm and I'm so glad that you get to you know put that passion into all these kids that you're teaching, and uh, you know I'm sure they're they're loving their experience. No, oh, I, I certainly hope so, at least. <laughs> well, thanks again so much, Zach, for coming and taking some time to join me on the Ottawa Life Sports Podcast. It was a pleasure to speak to you and learn more about Freestyle Calibomi, and as well as all the exciting programs you offer and your very own story. It was, it was really incredible to sit, sit here and have this discussion with you, so I really appreciate it. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I'm glad I could have your time. Yes, yes. And then now for those listening and wanting a bit more information, where can they find more information? Uh, we have our Freestyle Calabogie website. It is just online. Uh, we are also on Instagram if you're looking for a little bit more of a visual aid to what we really do as well. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Zach. Yes, thank you.